0: You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So we have been in a study on the Gospel of Luke. And if you were with us last week, you were here to hear a sermon on the last part of Luke chapter four, which was preached by Gabe Myers, our Hispanic pastor. And really, this is the heart of what he began to unpack for us and that we're going to now see play out through the course of the rest of this book. Jesus, if you'll remember, in Luke chapter 4, stands up in the synagogue in Capernaum and he basically announces who he is and what he's come to do. And he reaches back into the Old Testament and reads from a scroll, scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, which is where these words are captured. It says this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And if you'll remember, he rolled the scroll up and said, Today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing. He basically said, I am the Messiah i am the promised one i am the chosen one i am god and i am here to bring my kingdom and now what we're going to see is that kingdom coming to fruition and becoming reality and the first thing jesus begins to do is he frees this person from a demon he heals peter's mother-in-law and heals a bunch of other people then every time you see miracles like this in the new testament what jesus what god is showing us is this is how life was always intended to be this is what the kingdom is always intended to be about people should never get sick people shouldn't have disease people shouldn't be poor and not have enough food people should never die All those things are symptomatic of a broken world. And every time Jesus does a miracle, he's showing us what's coming. That ultimately, he will return and complete his mission of redemption. But that redemption is going on now. And that's what we're gonna see play out in front of us. And we're gonna look at four stories in Luke chapter five today. And any one of these stories could be a sermon in and of itself, so we're gonna skim through these and look at some dynamics, but there is a common thread that runs through all of them, and it's this. It's faith. Faith is gonna be on display for us today. What is it? How do you know if you have it? How do you deepen and develop it? What should it look like in your life? We're going to begin to get answers to these questions as we look at these stories. So to set the scene here, this takes place around the Sea of Galilee, and that is a picture of the Sea of Galilee. I was there, thanks to your generosity, two years ago. Jamie and I and some others got to go to the Holy Land. We were there at the Sea of Galilee. This was taken out of the window of our hotel. This was the sunrise of the first morning we were at the Sea of Galilee. It was... It was unbelievable, and here's a picture, you know, as the sun was getting up in the sky. It was just, it was breathtaking. It was just such a beautiful morning. And the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long, about eight miles wide, and in that area, region of the world, it is the largest gathering of fresh water. And so you can imagine 2,000 years ago, someone walks along, they see this, and they call it a sea, but between you and me, more like a reservoir. For those of us in the northwest we would call this a reservoir in fact we have bigger reservoirs than the sea of galilee but it is a it is a large expanse of water it is the lowest in elevation body of fresh water in the entire world it sits 686 feet below sea level the only body of water that's lower than it is the dead sea which the jordan river flows out of the sea of galilee into the dead sea so it's it's pretty remarkable and this is where the story we're going to read takes place and i can't even begin to explain to you what it was like to be on the sea of galilee and to be able to lead a devotion here and that's what this is a picture of of me leading a devotion for our crew of jesus calming the storm on the sea of galilee and we're sitting on a boat in the sea of galilee i mean it was just i had goosebumps the whole time it was just it was remarkable And I've never read my Bible the same way since, having gone and experienced some of this stuff. But this is a picture from our bow of the Sea of Galilee, and this is where our first story begins to take place. So let me read this to you. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gethsemane, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And by the way, that's another name for the Sea of Galilee. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come on over and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Talk about a fish story, right? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And now as we've encouraged you to do, let's enter each of these stories and imagine this was you. First, you have all these people gathered around to hear Jesus, and it says that Jesus pushed out from shore in Simon Peter's boat. Brilliant thing to do. Because have you ever been on a lake or a, on a near a body of water like Puget Sound or the Columbia what does sound do when it comes across the water it amplifies and expands brilliant Jesus goes out into the lake and now he is amplified and all the people can hear him and probably most of them can now see him and so after he does this teaching then and this is so funny there's so much humor in each of these stories then he tells Peter to you know throw your nets down over there Now Let me ask you a question You ever stayed up all night? All night? How did you feel the next morning? A little tired? A little cranky? So you're a fisherman Everybody knows That the best fishing is at night That's when they fished You fished all night And you got skunked You got nothing You're tired You've been up all night Jesus shows up And he says Oh yeah by the way Throw your nets over there Can you imagine? I mean, this is a poor analogy, but think about how you spend most of your waking hours, whatever your vocation is, whatever you end up doing with your time. You know, this is like Jesus coming up to an electrician and saying, you know what? Take the white wire and black wire and connect those together. Let's see what happens, right? Or coming to a teacher and saying, you know what? You need to teach your class from the back of the classroom. Give that a try. You know, it's just like, what? This is crazy, why? And the, the story captures this. Luke captures this for us. Where Peter kind of says, really? Okay. And he very reluctantly throws the net, and then they have more fish than they could possibly imagine. And notice that his language changed. When Jesus asked him to do that, he addressed him as master, which was a term of respect. It was appropriate to address an authority that way. I know it seems kind of weird to us, but that that was appropriate. But then when they have this incredibly miraculous catch of fish, and he calls him Lord. Did you catch that? Because he realized who he was dealing with at that point. This was a miracle. This is God himself. And what does he then say? Get away from me. Because I am a sinful man. And we see this picture all through the Old Testament and the New Testament that when God manifests his presence, people feel completely undone because not just of the majesty and awesomeness and incredible power of God but because you're exposed because your sinfulness your brokenness your dirt in your life all of a sudden is very very apparent it's exposed and he says do not fear do you know what the most repeated command in the bible is do not fear do not be afraid And so we see, really, this idea, this reality of faith beginning to start to play out in these stories. And we've used this as a working definition before. There's other layers to faith, and certainly other ways you could define this or say it, but faith, at the end of the day, is believing that whatever God says can absolutely be trusted. Peter, throw your net over here. Okay. And look what what happens but it always involves trusting and obeying God. And if you follow this God, there will come times in your life where he asks you to do things that feel absolutely crazy, that sometimes make no sense. And yet we see Peter's response here that it says they left everything and followed him. Now as we harmonize this with the other gospels, we can reasonably say that they had had other exposure to jesus they had heard his teaching they knew who he was they had had other interactions with him but that's a pretty amazing response does that mean that you and i have to leave everything to follow jesus in many ways it does at the heart of what this is saying is that if you're going to follow jesus Your greatest priority needs to be Him. Your highest loyalty needs to be to Him. So is it? Is He your greatest priority? Is your deepest loyalty to Him out of all the relationships in your life at the end of the day, does He have your loyalty? Or to put this another way, what are you afraid of? Because in a gathering of this many of us, I can guarantee you, just because of how our God works and how life works, there are a number of you who know exactly what it means at this point, in this season, in even this day of your life, what it means to trust and obey God. And in your heart of hearts, you're afraid, you're anxious. You're not sure you can. You're not sure you want to. This is very real stuff. So what do you do if you're in that spot? Scared, unsure, uncertain. What does it look like to work through that? Well, let's go to our next story. When Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, another miracle. And then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So now Jesus is referring to, in the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 14, because he's honoring the law. And now he asks this man to not only honor the law, but to honor him and to go and tell the priests what happens. And really to celebrate the cleansing, the miracle that has happened. Now let's begin to work our way through this story. This is a, A a picture of what a mild case of leprosy might look like but leprosy is a contagious skin disease it's horribly disfiguring you lose the the sensitivity of your nerves and um, it deforms your extremities and you injure yourself repeatedly because you can't feel pain I mean it's just and it's it's just it's horrible it's a horrible disease and in the first century there was no cure there's a cure now it is treatable but it wasn't treatable in the first century and so because it was treatable the way you dealt with leprosy was you had nothing to do with anyone who had it and that's why even to this day there are still countries where there are leper colonies because no one wants to catch the disease so therefore they're isolated they're ostracized horribly lonely awful way to live and in that culture, if you had leprosy and you were walking through a crowd, you had to shout at the top of your lungs, unclean, unclean, so everyone could make way for you so that no one had to touch you. There was great fear around the disease. No one would ever touch a leper under any circumstances. And so now this leper comes to Jesus. And do you notice what he said? He said it basically I know you are able. Will you heal me? There was never any doubt, evidently, in this man's mind that Jesus could heal him. The real question was, would he? Could he? Yeah. Would he? Don't know. But he asks. He asks. That is the starting point for faith. I don't believe. Okay, have you asked God to help you believe? Or even from there, I believe, but I'm anxious, I'm struggling. Okay, ask him. And that's what this leper does. He has enough faith to ask him. And I want to just take a brief aside here because I want to inoculate you against some really damaging theology about faith that you may be exposed to and that you probably will be exposed to at some point. There is a line of thinking out there that takes this and distorts this. And basically what this line of thinking is, is if you have enough faith, then God will answer the way you want him to. And really what this does, is it reduces God to a faith vending machine where if you put enough faith in, you're gonna get what you want out. And if you don't get what you asked for, then it's a you problem. There's something wrong with your faith. If you just had enough faith, then God would answer the way you want him to. And it's, it's a horrible distortion of God's truth. God's ways, his plan, his timing, that's all beyond us. We don't have control over that. But God does want us to come to him and to ask. And this is just my perspective but i personally believe from all the stories i read in the gospels from all the examples of faith if you have enough faith to ask god you have enough faith so will you will you ask and what's so remarkable about this story is that multiple times in the gospels jesus heals at a command he just commands it and it happens what does he do with this man He touches him in order to heal him. Do we realize and appreciate this may have been the only time, the first time in this man's life with a contagious disease that someone would actually reach out and touch him? It's remarkable. But it wasn't just fear of the disease. You became ritually unclean spiritually unclean to touch someone with leprosy whether you got the disease or not and yet jesus jesus touches this man and tells him to go to the priests to fulfill the law to honor the law and for them to hear about the miracle and they do and word begins to get around not just from these priests who saw this miracle this, this clean man standing before them who had leprosy, this healed man. But it's also the crowds. Look what it goes on to say. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Of all the gospel writers, Luke emphasizes more than anyone how often Jesus withdrew from the crowds withdrew from the busyness of life withdrew from everything that was going on in order to connect with the Father and there's something here for us our faith deepens through prayer if Jesus needed that kind of connection don't we don't you and me need to take that time to be with God And let's just, you know, put it out there. There is not a person here who isn't busy. All of you are busy. I'm busy. All of us are busy. This is profoundly difficult to do. But there are times when we need to do it. I'm going to do it starting today. My wife and I are deliberately going away for the portion of this week, the bulk of this week, in order to go pray and seek God and to listen to the Lord we are in a season as a church and I've told our leadership this multiple times this last year we've always experienced growing pains as a church because the church has been healthy and vibrant and growing for a lot of years I believe we have more growing pains now than we ever have had before and so we're faced with a lot of choices that we need to make And it's really a choice it comes down to, it doesn't always have to be, but I think in this case it does, it comes down to a choice between our potential and our calling. In terms of potential, there are so many things that we could do as a church. God has blessed us with so many resources. He's blessed us with you. We have so many opportunities of what we could do. But what is it that God wants us to do? What does he want for us as a church family, in this season, in this time, in this community with where things are at? Where does he want us to focus? and maximize our impact? And these are always relevant questions for you as well. There's lots of things we could do. I'm interested in what we should do. And so I'm purposely going away to to try to listen to the Lord and to prioritize from my perspective part in all this what needs to get my focus because there's lots of things there's more things than ever I I could do with my time and I could have given this week away ten times in the last two months I have fought for this time with my life because I know I need it and I need to do it because Jesus did and I get that not all of us have you know the opportunity it's not realistic to be able to go away for half a week or a week but the value still stands if Jesus needed to get time away from everything that was pressing at him, all the crowds that wanted him, everything that people wanted him to do, then the same is true for us as as well. Because now word has spread. He's more in demand. And if that wasn't enough, now the religious leadership is beginning to gather. Word has gotten out. And they're beginning to gather because it's time to check him out and to see what exactly is this guy teaching? What is he doing? Who does he claim to be? What in the world is going on? And that's where the rest of our story picks up. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. And when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tile into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man, by the way, Son of Man, Jesus' favorite name for himself, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and he went home praising God. And everyone was amazed. And they gave praise to God and they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now again, let's enter the story. This is your house. Anybody who is somebody in the religious leadership has gathered in your home of all places. They're sitting in the front row. In fact, the house is so crowded, you're standing off in a corner. You don't even have the best seat because all the people have crowded into your house to hear Jesus, to be near Jesus, to check him out. In fact, the crowd spills out into the front of your house. I don't know if they had yards back then, but it's all, you know, everybody's outside and you're sitting there and all of a sudden a piece of clay lands at your feet. And then some straw falls. And then there's daylight in your roof. The roof that you put on your house, there's some daylight that opens up, and then this hole opens up, and there's dudes on your roof. Three of them, to be exact. And now they're lowering this other dude down on this mat, right in front of Jesus. They just made this huge hole in your roof. What in the world is, can you imagine? Can you you put yourself in this place of, of what was going on? I mean, it's just, it's remarkable. And how does Jesus respond? What are you doing? You ruined this man's roof. How dare you? No, that's not what he says at all. What does he say? He saw their faith. Those guys had enough faith to crawl up this roof with their paralyzed friend, make a hole in it, and lower him in front of Jesus in the hope that Jesus somehow could heal him. I want to be that friend, and I hope I have friends like that if I ever need them someday. But that aside, Jesus says, I see your faith. Because again, the common denominator that runs through all these stories with faith is that faith is always active. Faith is never passive. It is always, always active. It always involves action. I mean, think through the stories that we've seen here. They would be incomplete without an active faith. Peter, Peter, throw your net over there into the water. No. Uh-uh. Peter, come follow me. Uh, no. I just healed you. Go talk to the priest. No, not gonna do it. Your friend needs to be healed. Lower him through the roof. Go to whatever extremes you need to to get him in front of Jesus. Nah, no. Get up and walk. No. Go tell what God's done for you. No. There's action, faith in action in every single one of these stories. Otherwise, they'd be incomplete. How about your story? Are you putting action to your faith? Am I? I mean, let's start with the very first Most important decision you will ever make in your life when it comes to God. Will you know Him? Will you receive Jesus into your life? Because your faith story is incomplete unless you've made that defining moment decision to receive Jesus into your life. So, have you? If you have, have you declared that through baptism? In a couple weeks, we're going to have a baptism service here. I love those. You're gonna hear Jesus stories of how Jesus has changed people's lives and it's gonna be a celebration because that's what baptism is. Have you ever been baptized if you know Jesus? And I know I'm pressing a little here, but if you haven't, why not? Or what God has entrusted to you and given to you, all of us have passion and gifts and resources and opportunity, are you using that to serve other people? Or to be even more specific, do you somehow serve with those gifts within the walls of this church? I'm not talking necessarily every week, but do you serve within the walls of the body here? Do you serve outside these walls with where God has called and placed you? Do you see where this is going? Faith always involves action. And it's amazing this question that Jesus puts in front of these religious leaders? Is it easier to heal? Or easier to forgive sins? Oh, and by the way, just so you know who I am, I'm gonna do both. And he does. Because that son of man self-designation reaches all the way back into the Old Testament into Daniel 7 and pulls that forward. And if you go back and read Daniel 7, if you'll remember when we went through the Daniel series together here just a couple years ago, You have this vision of this preeminent figure who is coming, who is being worshipped, who comes in power and splendor, who undeniably, unquestionably is God. And Jesus says, yep, that's me. I'm the Son of Man. Which is remarkable because of what happens in the next story. After this, Jesus went and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, and another name for Levi is Matthew, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. And then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance once again let's enter the story tax collectors most of us never will have a frame of reference for what it would be like to live under the occupation of another government another political entity the Romans were universally hated because they were oppressive, they were unjust, they took advantage of and exploited the people. Life was harsh and hard. Most of us, myself included, just have no idea what that must have been like. And there were Jews who were employed by the Roman government as tax collectors. And they were seen as traitors just from being in the employ of Rome. But it usually went further than that these tax collectors would extort their own people. That's how they made their money. So when you came to pay your tax to the Roman authorities, they would charge you even more because they would skim off the top and take it for themselves. They were universally hated, despised, disassociated with. And who does Jesus go to? A tax collector. And who chooses to follow him? a tax collector, and then what happens? Like what many of you are gonna do in two weeks with the Super Bowl, huge party. He throws his Super Bowl party, and he brings all of his tax collector broken friends, all the people from the wrong side of the tracks who no one would ever associate with, now come and they're hanging out with Jesus and they're eating together. And the religious leaders don't like it. And this proves that God has a sense of humor. Because what does Jesus say to them? It's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. The Pharisees were anything but healthy, spiritually. Jesus will have his harshest words for them later in the Gospels. Because basically what he's saying here is those who think they're healthy don't need the doctor. Or to put it another way, the self-righteous don't realize they're sick. Pharisees were smug, and Jesus basically saying to them, you don't know how sick you really are, because to follow him means you follow him with every part of your life, he will not share you or me with any kind of brokenness, he loves us too much to do that, and so he will ask you to follow him with all your relationships, all your priorities, all the things that encompass your life. And what we constantly have to do business with on a regular basis is our brokenness. Apart from Jesus, we all start out in the same place. So therefore, when it comes to the sin and selfishness and brokenness in our life, we don't accommodate it, we don't excuse it, we don't explain it away, we don't deny it, we don't avoid it, we call it what it is, we we own it. And our pervasive brokenness it's something that we just have to do battle with and it's so easy not to because it appears in our life in ways that we just become immune to and it can lead us to becoming self-righteous and religious in the worst sense of way I mean think about what just some of the ways this brokenness can manifest itself it's the person who is the first one to complain when things don't go their way It's the person who has expectations where everything has to be just so, and if they don't get their way, man, are you going to hear about it? It's the person who gets their value from what they do rather than who God says they are. It's the person who can share but chooses not to. It's the person who brings up past wrongs and hurts because they choose not to forgive. It's the person who is too proud to apologize It's the person who feels like God or other people owes them, and that comes out in their attitudes. It's the person who does something nice or kind or generous for someone else secretly because they really expect something back or they expect some kind of recognition or a thank you or something. Do you see all the mixed motives in all that? Can you relate to any of that? Because I sure can. I can look at my life, and every one of those scenarios I just described to, I have defaulted back to in the brokenness of my life at times we have to do battle with the reality that apart from Jesus, all of us are sick and we need the doctor. And it's a battle that we fight, that we must fight, because ultimately we're gonna win it because of who we follow. I like to always try to leave you with a story that I think captures the heart of what we've been talking about. And I thought I'd share with you some of my story For those of you who may not know it. For many years in my life, I knew who Jesus was. And I knew that he was calling me to know him. To love him, to trust and obey him. And I was not interested. Because there is a level of brokenness that runs through my life called people pleasing. That I have done battle with my whole life. And at that point in my life, My family of origin made it really clear they would not be happy if I ever got into this Jesus stuff. And so, not wanting to disappoint them, for the longest time I put this off and put this off until a defining moment came where Jesus basically made it really clear to me I needed to choose if I was going to follow him or if I was going to follow what others wanted of me. Or to put it another way, who was I going to please? And I just knew, I want to please you. I want to follow you. And so I made that defining moment decision as a high school student sitting under a huge pine tree at a camp to follow Jesus with my life. Best decision I've ever made in my life. Most important decision I've ever made in my life. But it was hard. And I thought, boy, I'm so glad I got this people-pleasing thing done with and out of the way. And then some years later, God made it really, really clear. And I'd love to tell you that story another time where he called me to be a pastor. And my family had made it really clear that was the last thing they ever wanted to see me become a part of. And quite frankly, it was the last thing I ever thought I'd become a part of. For the record, I love being a pastor. Also, I'll go on record to say, I love being one of your pastors. There's no community I'd rather be in than this one. It is a privilege to to be one of your pastors. Love it. But do you know what the reality is of being a pastor, one of them? Is you don't make widgets, you make disciples, which means your role is all about relationships, which I love. It's all about people, it's all about you. But as a pastor, there is always someone who is unhappy with you. Someone who is disappointed in you. Someone who doesn't like you confronting them about their sin. Someone who thinks you're not doing the things you should. You know, it's just on and on and on. Some of you, rightfully so, are disappointed about vacation Bible school. I'm going to hear about it. And if you're really unhappy, go talk to Pastor Jerry. But I'm just teasing. Pastor Jerry's here and I love him, so I gotta pick on him. But, no, seriously. And yet, please understand me, I love being a pastor. There's nothing I'd rather do with my life. And some years ago, God said, Jay, we need to do business with your people-pleasing. Okay, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Because if you weren't a pastor and you were somewhere making widgets, you would still have to deal with people-pleasing. This isn't about being a pastor. This is about being sick. And I am the source of health and wholeness and healing for you. So listen, pal. You need to do business with this regardless of whether you were a pastor or not. And he's right. Yesterday I was with my family of origin boy, I was tempted to put on some, as what the Bible would call in Colossians, old clothes, sinful patterns of relating that were people-pleasing, and I didn't. Through the Spirit, growth, deeper faith, and that growth has been incremental, especially in this area of my life, but I'm doing battle with it, and I'm becoming more like Jesus every day and less of a people-pleaser because of who I follow. So the question for you, is who are you following today? How are you following him today? Will you trust and obey him? Will you believe him? Will you take him at his word? Because he's good. He's faithful. He loves you. And he's true. So let's worship him together. Jesus, thank you. that you are the God who pursues us. You see us in our brokenness as if we could hide it from you. And sometimes we still try to. But you see us for who we are and you love us anyway. And you choose to enter our brokenness and begin to heal us and to make us whole. And you ask us to follow you because you're good. Even when life isn't good, even when circumstances aren't good, even when you don't feel like you're good, you are You are good. And so would we anchor ourselves to that? Would we choose to follow and trust and obey you? Because of who you are. And Lord, we thank you that you're here with us. And so we choose to worship you now in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.